0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez, and I'm so glad that you're able to join us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at slash connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during the season. And now, a special message by Pastor Mark Croston. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desire. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Amen. You may be seated. What a beautiful day it is. I want to thank uh, the band for leading us in worship. It's been so marvelous, uh, the expressions of love toward God on today. And it's my privilege to take uh, this opportunity to bring this series of messages on God's will uh, to its conclusion. So uh, you've heard a whole lot of stuff about God's will. Uh, Here's the final installation uh, idea after everything you've heard, do what you want, all right? Touch your neighbor and tell them, do what you want. Hey, say, I like that message already. So, so let's bow and pray. Father, thank you so much for the power in your, the name of your son, Jesus Christ. It really makes a difference in our lives. Thank you for the music that has inspired us to worship you today. Now, God, we pray that you would open up your word for our hearing Speak to us afresh. Speak to us, God, we pray, at the point of our greatest need. Make us better for having come here today, and allow these moments to give your name, which is worthy. Glory, honor, and praise, and we thank you for this awesome privilege in Jesus' name, and all who know him said amen. amen. So for me, this idea of uh, the, talking about the will of God is really to talk about What do we want to guide our lives and and to give us real direction is the ultimate goal in uh, this discussion. And so I want to say that there are a lot of things that people use in order to try to uh, determine a goal or a direction for what they ought to do at different times and places in life. Uh, One of them is uh, seen in uh, this particular stick. Uh, Some of you uh, might recognize this as a dowel or a divining rod. And so back in the old days when they didn't have uh, water coming out of their faucets in the house and they had to find water uh, or where to dig a well, they would use a stick like this and they would believe that the water or the divine would cause the stick to bend to let them know where to dig the well for the water. So uh, you might want to pick up one of these and try that. Sometimes people have used things like, uh, I'm going to flip a coin to make a decision. Uh, let me see if I have a quarter available. Uh, I do happen to have one here. And so they would take a quarter like this and flip that in order to make, uh, make a real decision. Uh, sometimes maybe you've taken a poll, you've seen what the trends are, what's, what is everybody else doing, horoscopes, numerology, superstition, uh, or sometimes say, I'm just going to follow my gut on this thing in 2004, there was a movie called Flight of the Phoenix. In this particular movie, there were some oil workers who had to fly from one place to another, and they got into a plane, and they began to fly across the Gabi Desert in Mongolia. We got to a particular place where there's a huge sandstorm, and their plane crashed in the middle of the desert. So the movie is all about how do we get out of the desert without dying? And uh, so the team decided that they were going to try to take the pieces of the airplane that weren't too broken up and rebuild the plane in order to be able to fly out of the desert. Now, if we were there, that would have really been a challenge, wouldn't it? We'd have just died in the desert. Well, one guy decided that uh, that wasn't going to work. And so he said, I'm going to walk out of this desert. He said, I know that the place where we're trying to go is over in this direction. And so he said, I'm just going to walk until I get there. Well, the captain of the plane said, no, don't do that. Don't try that because you will die in the desert. He said, why am I going to die? He said, because one of your legs is longer than the other. And he said, you favor one leg over the other. And he says, if you don't have something out there to look at, Uh, you're going to wander around in circles. And so he said, in the desert, all you see is sand in every direction. And so without something in the distance to focus your eyes on and to guide your steps, you'll wander around in the desert, he said, and you'll ultimately die in the desert. Well, that's not just true for getting out of that desert. It's true for getting out of the spiritual deserts we find ourselves in that if you don't have something down the path that you can focus your eyes on that will help you to govern your steps, you too, we too can die in our own spiritual desert. And that's why this study on the will of God has been so vital and so really important. Now, I want to just say that God doesn't require all of us to be exactly the same. That's not what the will of God means that we all are going to have our own style, our own way of doing things. All of us are going to like some things more than somebody else likes them or not like some things more, less than somebody else likes them. God doesn't take away our individuality in being uh, in alignment to his will. And so as we conclude all of these things that we have talked about, I just want to say there are two things you can do. You can either choose not to follow God's will, in which case uh, Proverbs 14, 12 uh, comes to bear. It says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. Or you can choose to follow God's will. And if you do that, your life can be more like John 10, 10, which says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it in abundance. And so if you want the blessings of God, If you want the guidance of God, if you want the power and the healing and the glory and the forgiveness of God in your life, then here's the answer to all of this we have discussed on the will of God. Do what you want. Now, let me give one little qualification. Do what you want according to what Psalms 37 reminds us of. And so in Psalms 37, verse number four, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. So do what you want as long as you delight in him. And so this word uh, uh, delight, the original meaning of this word in Hebrew is actually to bend. And so it's the idea that we bend toward those things that we delight in. And that's true, whatever it is. Haven't you ever heard somebody say that so-and-so has a bent toward something? They delight in something. And so so the word of God is saying, look, what I want you to do is get your bent in my direction. Like, Like a plant that bends toward the sun, he said, I want you to bend toward me, delight in me. And he says, if you do that, I will give you the desires of your heart. Now, understand that the desires of your heart, sometimes for some of us, they can be pretty big, Uh, and so let me qualify what God is talking about there. The desires of your heart are not like Aladdin's lamp, huh? So, you know, you take Aladdin's lamp, you're supposed to polish it up, and then a genie comes out of the lamp. I've been rubbing on this thing, I haven't seen anything yet, but a genie comes out of the lamp, and the genie is supposed to give you three wishes. Uh, Well, if I ever get three wishes, my third wish is going to be for three more wishes. So anyway, so when the genie comes out, it is the genie who bends his will toward you. And so God giving us the desires of our heart is not God bending his will toward us so that we get everything we want. He says, you have to first bend toward me. And so when we bend toward him, then our desires become his desires. And so when we ask for the desires of our heart, our heart is now in alignment with his heart. And so we're really asking for the things that God really wanted for us in the first place. And so, uh, so let me say this, that to delight means to take pleasure in. And so uh, we've got to come to a place in our faith where we're able to take pleasure in it. And that's what God really wants for us. The uh, delight, to be delighted, is a powerful emotional response. And so when one is delighted in God, uh, you ought to have the joy of God and delight in every single day. I, I, we ought to be able to go through the day smelling the flowers, drinking the coffee, feeling the breeze, sipping the nectar, soak up the experience, be energized by every encounter, live above life circumstances, find the silver lining behind every cloud, and even if you're spend, you spend your life trying to find a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow somewhere, enjoy the journey. And so when, when it comes to our spiritual lives, I... You, we ought to love God. And, and so nobody has to uh, urge me to love God. I'm already delighted in him. And so uh, that's why uh, the, the uh, writer of Psalms says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and come in with praise. And see, I don't wait for the praise team to get me excited about God. I'm already excited about God. I don't have to come to church, I get to come to church. I don't have to pray, I get to pray. I don't have to praise Him, I get to praise Him. I don't have to give, I get to give. Why? Because I'm already delighted and excited about who God is. Delight yourself in the Lord and you'll get the desires of your heart. So we cannot delight in what we don't know. So here's the problem. And here's the solution, reading and studying the Bible really helps us to know more about God. And sometimes the reason we have not yet delighted in him is because we haven't fully known him. Psalm 119 to 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And so like there, when my kids were growing up, we had a, a, a rule at the kitchen table, and the rule was that you can't not like something until you've tasted it. Hmm? You know how kids are. So they'll, they'll just look at it, smell it, or you just told them about it. Like, I don't eat that. <laughs> well, we, we, you couldn't do that. You couldn't decide until you taste it. You don't have to like everything. I mean, we're all going to like some things and not like other things, but you just couldn't decide until you actually had tasted it. And so when they would bring their friends over, uh, their friends had to abide by the rules of the table. And so they too had to at least taste it before they could decide whether or not they liked it. And so often their friends would go home and they would tell their parents, oh, we ate such and such at the Crosstown's house. And their parents would come to us and say, how in the world did you get my kids to eat that? Because they never want to eat that at our house. And that's because you don't have the rule. And so I just want to say that in order to begin to grow and to love God, you've got to know him. How can you love food without having tasted it? How can you love football if you haven't watched it? How can you love the theater if you haven't seen it? Or music if you haven't heard it? Or marriage if you haven't experienced it? Or the will of God if you haven't actually tried it? No wonder David said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I tell you, he really is. And so do whatever you want as long as you delight in him. Begin to bend toward him. Do whatever you want as long as you commit to him. Look at verse number five. Commit your way to the Lord. Often, I believe we know more of God's will than we do. But we haven't gotten to a point when we really fully Commit to what we already know. Let me see if I can illustrate this talking about an airplane. Like an airplane, we must reach our point of commitment. So, how many of you have ever flown the airplane? Raise your hand. Ever flown? All right, good. So, you can tell others who around you. So, when you get in the airplane and buckle yourself in the seat, and the airplane gets to the runway, and the pilot pushes on those thrusters, and the airplane now goes down the runway, you get pressed back in the seat as the airplane goes faster forward, and when the airplane reaches 200 miles an hour about, it is now at the point of commitment. At at that rate of speed, the pilot can't now decide, oh, we're not going to take off because he will do more damage not taking off than he does take it off. And so once the pilot passes the point of commitment, the only choice he has is to get that baby up in the air flying. And, 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 and now when it's flying, when, a, when an airplane is flying, that's when an airplane is fulfilling the divine purpose for which it was created. Now, here's the problem, that many of us have made a commitment to God, but we haven't made a real commitment, we haven't gone to a real point of commitment. Huh? Like airplanes, we like, some of us are just hanging around the gate, you know, it's nice at the gate. Everything, everything is under control over here at the gate, and we don't even mind taxiing around the, air, air, uh, in the airport, you know, taxiing around, looking good, styling and profiling. We look pretty good taxiing, but, but some of us have never truly gotten on the runway where your faith has to really take over in your life. And if you would ever get on the runway and fly down the runway of life so that all that I have to depend on is faith. I'm now at the point of commitment where all I can depend on is my faith in Almighty God. That's when God allows you to soar in your Christian life. So he says, commit your way to the Lord. We must commit our way of life, huh? Not just a day, but the way. God doesn't want us uh, to commit just a day. Man, most of us are pretty good. I can commit an hour or two to God every weekend. Uh, but the rest of the time is mine. Well, that's, that's not what this is talking about. God wants a full commitment from every one of us. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a half days a year. God wants a quarter days. God wants that kind of commitment out of every single one of us. Uh, why is that? Because whenever it comes to real commitment, isn't that what you want too? We want a God that is fully committed to us. And if we want a God that is fully committed to us, He wants a people that are fully committed to Him. If you've ever been married or in a relationship, how many of you wanted somebody to marry you who's only going to be committed four days a week? Huh? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Those are your days. Uh, Nobody wants that. You want somebody that's going to be fully, fully committed. A chicken and a pig. We're walking down the road one day and having a conversation. And so they were hungry, and so the chicken said, well, let's have breakfast. I'm thinking about eggs and bacon. (laughs) The pig said, for you, that would just be a passing task, but for me, that would be total commitment. But that's what God wants. He wants total commitment. Charles Blondin was born in France, Of a family of acrobats and tightrope walkers, and in 1859 he came to the United States to show off his uh, skills and stretched a tightrope across Niagara Falls, 1,100 feet across. It was 160 feet in the air. The tightrope was only three and a half inches wide. Charles Blondin went and walked across the tightrope. This. Mist of the uh, Niagara Falls uh, coming up and the winds blowing and the tightrope swaying, he walked across the falls on that tightrope. Then he said, that's not good enough. He went and got a chair and brought the chair out to the middle of the tightrope, put one leg of a four-legged chair on the tightrope, and then climbed up on top of the chair out in the middle of the falls of Niagara Falls. Oh, that is something. He said, that's not good enough. And he went back, and this time he got some cooking equipment, took his cooking equipment out to the middle of the falls, cooked himself a meal, ate his meal, and then went to the other side of the falls. When he gets to the other side of the falls, he starts talking to the crowd. He says, I am blonde." And The crowd said, yeah, yeah, blonde." He said, and I am great. Yes, yes, you're great. And I have crossed the falls. Yes, yes, you crossed the falls. And he said, I'm going back across one more time. Yeah, go back across. (laughs) And then he said, who will go with me? Crowd went silent. Because That requires a real total commitment of faith. And that's what God wants for us. He said, commit your way unto him. Listen to the end of verse number five. It says, trust in him, and listen to this, and he will act. So do whatever you want as long as you trust in him. We've got to trust That God will take care of you. So just understand that that God's design is never to cause us to fail, God's design is always to cause us to succeed and to prosper. It is not just our reputation that's on the line, it's God's reputation on the line. And God says, I'm never going to let my name or my word fail. You can take that to the bank, but but we have to trust that God will take care of us in the process, and many times. We don't fully commit to the will of God because we don't, we're not fully trusting that God has this thing under control and that he will take care of us. Well, let me go back to my airplane illustration. And uh, so one day we're flying and uh, the flight was pretty smooth. Everything went fine. And we got to this one place where uh, we were coming down to land. Everything's going fine. And we get down, and the wheels of the plane are almost about to touch the tarmac. And just before the wheels touched the tarmac, uh, the pilot pulled back, and the plane went shooting up in the air. I didn't even know a plane could climb like that. He had that baby soaring. Well, the guy next to me turned. He said, what just happened? You know, I wasn't in the cockpit, so but I knew, but I had an answer. I said, "I think we just missed a meeting with our maker." (laughs) And later on, when the pilot explained what happened, I was right. (laughs) And so the point is that when you get on a plane, you don't have any control. You know, I I walk on the plane, I always look to the left. I want to look in the cockpit, make sure the pilot looks okay. (laughs) I'm putting my life in, you know, in that person's full control. When I get on that plane and the plane's up in the air, the only thing I have control over is me and my seatbelt. That's all. Everything else is now in the pilot's control. And the one thing I've known from flying is that every flight is not going to be easy and smooth, that sometimes the flights are bumpy, and sometimes we have to go to another destination in order to get to the destination we're going to, and all kinds of things happen on those flights. But the one thing that I'm convinced of, and I want to know, I want to know that the pilot wants to get to the destination just as much as I do, huh? I want to know that the pilot is going to use all of his skills to navigate any of the unforeseen circumstances that arise during the flight in order to get us there safely. I want to know that the manufacturer of the plane has made that plane in such a way that it can withstand some trouble and get us safely to the destination. And that's the same kind of faith I've got to have an almighty God as we go through life because life doesn't always go the way I want life to go. And there's some awkward turns in life sometimes, but I've got to trust God that God can safely deliver me to my final destination. So one time we're flying and uh, uh, I, I was working, I was on the school board for our city, and we had to go to a meeting in New Orleans, and it was probably the worst weather day I can remember flying. And so uh, we get up in the air, and we fly, we're fly, flying to Atlanta, and, uh, and then uh, there was so much storming going on, we circled around Atlanta Airport, ran out of gas, went to some other city, filled up there, went back up in the air, circled around Atlanta Airport some more. I mean, the wind was howling, there was lightning and rain, and the plane was jumping and bumping all over the place, and you know, when planes get like that, and you know, you've been on them, uh, people get mighty quiet, and I assume that the, most of them are praying, you know, even if, even if they're not Christians, they learn a few words of prayer, you know? Lord, you know, we haven't talked in a while, but I really could use it right now. So anyway, we're in one of those kind of moments. And uh, so uh, uh, the plane had just done some real fancy stuff. And uh, so one of the guys with me, and I'm not sure he ever went to church either, was about three or four rows behind me. He calls out in the middle of the quietness. Now, you know, you never do that on the airplane. You don't call out from one seat to another. But but in the middle of the quietness, he calls out uh, across the seats. He said, hey, preacher. I assume he's talking to me. So, uh, you know, it's quiet. Nobody else is doing anything. So I called back. I said, yeah, what do you want? He said, we're out here in the middle of a storm. Aren't you going to do something? I said, I am doing something. What are you doing? I so said, I'm acting like Jesus. He slept in the storm. So I went back to sleep. <laughs> One thing I know is that everything is in the God and the pilot's hands. And there's nothing I can do to change the circumstance in that moment. And some of you are, might be going through your own storms right now. You might have come into this place today. Uh, going through some kind of personal turmoil on, in your life, with your health, on your job, in your community, in your family, or in some other place in your life, and you're wondering, what can I do in the middle of this storm? Does God really love me? Because everything in my life seems to be falling apart and everything's topsy turvy you got to remember that Romans 8.28 says, on your worst day, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called a to his purpose. God is still working it out. So you got to trust in those times that God's way works. It really works. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. So here's our problem. We're so focused on what makes us happy, sometimes we can't see the trees for the forest. You have to trust God for your fulfillment or satisfaction. Notice I did not say happiness. God is not as focused on your happiness as you are. We've kind of developed the current society where we think everything is about us and our happiness. And so if there's something that doesn't make me happy, that there must be something wrong with that because life is all about making me happy. Well, God is not as focused on your happiness as you are. There's are some things that God wants to accomplish in and through your life that you're not always gonna be happy about or happy even to do. There's some things I want to accomplish for my family that don't make me happy. Sometimes I gotta discipline my children, it doesn't make me happy. Sometimes I gotta work more hours than I want to, it doesn't make me happy. You know what I'm saying? And so not everything in my life is designed to make me happy, It's designed to fulfill a greater purpose. And so uh, there was one day when a young preacher was in my office and we're talking about some decisions that he wanted to make. And I didn't think that the decisions he wanted to make for his life were in alignment with the will of God. And so his, his response to me was, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? I said, happy? Where'd you get the idea that God wanted you to be happy? I mean, you search the Bible for yourself. That's one thing you won't really find. Think about it. Was Noah happy to spend 365 days in a small boat that didn't hardly have any windows with a bunch of smelly animals? Was he happy? Was Abraham happy? to leave a successful idol-making business in the land of Ur, to walk 3,000 miles to Canaan and never even live in a house for the rest of his life? Was he happy? Was Moses happy to spend 40 years in the wilderness with a bunch of grumbling, complaining people? Was Daniel happy to lie down in the lion's den with some uh, hungry lions that had him on the menu? Was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego happy? To go into the fiery furnace? Was Stephen happy to be stoned? Was Paul happy to be in prison? Was John happy? To be in exile on the isle called Patmos? And was Jesus happy? to leave his throne in glory come down through 42 generations, to be born in poverty and obscurity, to walk dusty roads only, to end his life at an early age, being convicted of trumped up charges and nailed to an old wooden tree? Was he happy to have thorns on his brow and a spear in his side and mock until he died? Was he happy? We've got so much in this American mindset. We think everything's about us and about our happiness. And God wants to do more in your life than just make you happy. In John 17, on his way to Calvary's cross, even Jesus, even Jesus said, look, Father, if there's some other way to accomplish it, let's find it. He said, take this cup away from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So we have this way of giving God credit for something he doesn't deserve credit for. Uh, We make our decisions that make us happy, and then we say, oh, this was God's will, Well, notice, the will of God is never contradicted by the word of God. Huh? So we, we may have a lot of latitude in the will of God, but understand this one thing. The will of God is never contradicted by the word of God. And so if somebody comes up with some idea that they say is the will of God, and it contradicts what the word of God says, You don't have to have a prayer meeting about it. You don't have to go to Pastor Rick and ask Pastor Rick about it. You don't have to talk to your Sunday school class about it. You just already know if it contradicts the word of God, this is obviously not the will of God. huh? And so you've got to trust that God's way works and and trust that God is interested in your fulfillment. God is going to, you know, what I want in my life is to be able to get to the end of my days and not say that I was happy every day. I want, to, I want to look at the end of my days with a sense of fulfillment and contentment and know that my life has been worth living and I've done something worthwhile with my days and that I end my days with joy. That's what I really want in my life. And that means that sometimes there are going to be some hard moments There are going to be some difficult decisions and maybe even some bitter times in order to get me there. So do whatever you want as long as you delight in him, as long as you commit to him, as long as you trust in him, and as long as you shine for him. Now this verse says in verse 6, it says, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Now, two things come out of this to me. One is righteousness, which talks about living right. We ought to live right. And so this is something that talks about our personal lives, living our lives righteously in alignment with our wonderful, holy, righteous God and his will. So we ought to live our lives with righteousness. But the problem is that many of us live our lives with righteousness but we don't do the second part of the verse. The second part of the verse says, "'And your justice like the noonday.'" And so righteousness is living right, but justice says I'm gonna do right by, for, and to others. And so when I'm fully living out the will of God for my life, I can't just be concerned about me and mine and my. I also have to be concerned about the situations going on around me because I've got to be concerned about justice, that my justice might shine like noonday. And so here's the truth. You will not have to tell most people you are a Christian. So, if you get in a crowd and every time you're in the crowd, you got to tell people, hey, I'm a Christian, and maybe there's something wrong. Others will notice as they see your shine. Last week, Pastor Rick reminded us and encouraged us to be the light, and this text. Uh, uh, doubles down on that same idea that you have a shine that will come to your life when you're walking every day in the will of Almighty God. And let me see if I can uh, bring this to a conclusion with a personal story. So I grew up in the city of Philadelphia and since eighth grade, all I ever wanted to be was a computer science engineer. I was in uh, an assembly, a careers assembly, and in this assembly they showed some slides, and two of the slides on that day had uh, computers in them, and I decided in that dark auditorium that day I was going to be a computer science engineer. I wasn't one of them kids that changed their mind every semester, every year, Uh, from eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, grade, eleventh grade, twelfth grade, all I wanted to be was a computer science engineer. I went to the University of Pennsylvania's Moore School of Engineering because I wanted to be a computer science engineer. And in my junior year, almost almost, uh, up to my goal now, uh, God speaks to me and says, look, I got a different plan for your life. God expressed his will for my life that he wanted me to be a gospel pastor and preacher. I told God, I said, "Uh, you never made a mistake before, but you sure make it one now. (laughs) I said, I am not your man. I said, I'm, I'm an engineering type. I really don't like people all that much, and I certainly don't like talking in front of crowds. God told me, I've designed you. I, didn't, I couldn't see it. I didn't know it. But I said, I've designed you to be a gospel pastor and preacher. And I told God, okay, I submit to the will of the Almighty. I said, I'm going to go to work for the IBM Corporation. And I said, when I retire, I'm going to retire early. And I'm gonna give you the rest of my life, full time. I'm burning it on all cylinders. I went to work for the IBM Corporation, loved every minute of it. But God reminded me, I didn't call you for this. He said my will for your life is to be a gospel preacher and pastor. And I left my dream job, and I moved across the country. To a place where I didn't know anybody, in order to go to seminary to prepare to be what God had called me to be. I loved every minute of what I was doing as an engineer, but I love every minute of what I've been doing in alignment with God's will for my life as a pastor and a preacher. I've been preaching now for almost 40 years and have enjoyed every minute of the journey. It hadn't always been easy. There have been a lot of sacrifices along the way. But I'm convinced that there is no better place to live than in the center of God's will for your life. And sometimes the decision to align your life with God's will, sometimes it means there's got to be some big changes in your life. And sometimes to be in alignment with with God's will means there's got to be some little changes in your life. But whether the changes you need to make are big or small, just let me remind you this one last thing. To delay is to disobey. This is one thing i learned by putting it off those years at the ibm corporation to delay is to disobey in the book of mark chapter one starting with verse number 16 jesus walking down by the seaside and he sees simon and andrew fishing and he calls them and says follow me and the scripture says immediately they followed him and i know how Uh, our skeptical minds work. Well, how immediate is immediate? And that's why there's a second story right behind it. It says he went a little bit farther down and there he saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And he said, and he called them to follow him. And it says they left their nets and their daddy and the men in the boat. And immediately they followed him. Why? Because they knew that whenever you sense you really know God's will in any particular area of your life, to delay is to disobey. You parents understand this. There was a time when you were talking to your kids and they were doing something, and you told them what you wanted them to do. And then your kids kept doing what they were doing before you talked to them. I wasn't there, but I know exactly what happened. Something inside of you rose up. You said, did not I tell you to do thus and so? Why did that happen? Because you knew that to delay was to disobey. And if that's true for our earthly children and our earthly parents, how much truer is that for our spiritual lives and our heavenly parents. And so today, if you hear his voice, today, if you sense God is speaking to you about any area of your life, there are things that all of us need to drop off and stop doing and let go of today. And there's some things we need to grab onto and start doing in order to be in alignment, to bend our lives in alignment with the will of God. Let's bow and pray. Father, now we thank you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your mercy, for your power, for your wonder, for your grace. Thank you for your will that leads us to everlasting life. It's difficult for us to get our will out of the way. So we pray, consecrate us now to your service, Lord. By thy power of grace divine, let our souls look up with a steadfast hope and our will be lost in thine. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know by filling out a connection card at cfmime.org connect. We want to thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.